The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. The following program is a PodcastOne.com production. He's a world champion wrestler, best-selling author, actor, and lead singer of Fozzie. Now, now he's rocking the podcast world. Yay! This, this, this is Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho. Starring Chris Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho, the pot of thunder and rock and roll. Yeah! The remedy for boredom has arrived and it's Friday. It's Friday, Friday. And I'm so excited to be with you twice a week today on the show. She didn't just win one gold medal in 2010, she won another gold medal just a few weeks ago in bobsledding. She's from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Kaylee Humphreys is here. She's going to talk about what it's like to be in the Olympics. All of it. What was it like to be in the village? How are the accommodations in Sochi? We'll find out who, who, who the snobbiest country is. We're going to find out a whole lot of amazing stories from Kaylee, from Sochi. She just landed a couple days ago. She's probably still got the jet lag, but she's going to be on our show. And we're really excited about that. And uh, we had a great, uh, we've had a great couple months of guests. I mean, from Natty Neidhart to Jeff Belanger on Wednesday, Darren McCarty did huge numbers. If you haven't listened to Darren McCarty's show and you like hockey, go check it out. But the one that, that a lot of people are talking about is Chavo Guerrero when he was on the show. Very uh, emotional, very funny, a very revealing interview. Now, Chavo uh, spoke about when we were in Japan. And he was trying to explain to one of the, the Mexican guys on the tour about the pinch of ghost that was haunting the hotel. Well, that got a lot of coverage. There was even a hashtag of pinch of ghost. I'm sure there's probably a, a Twitter at pinch a ghost. That's P-I-N-C-H-E-J. How do you spell ghost? <laughs> at P-I-N-C-H-E-G-H-O-S-T. I'm sure there's one out there. Uh, very popular, and we were actually contacted by the representatives of Pinche Ghost, and he's on the line right now. Uh, he wanted to talk to us. Pinche Ghost, uh, how are you doing? Uh, you know, some days are good, some days are bad, so whatever. So uh, how did you even hear the show? Do you have podcasts in the afterlife? Well, of course we have podcasts in the afterlife. We've got cable TV, we've got, uh, we've got the, the internet, we've got everything on there. But, you know, I just I wanted to come and kind of clear my name about the podcast, about the Pinch of Ghost. Yeah, I mean, you, you were in Japan. How come you don't have a, a Japanese accent? You're not a, a Japanese ghost? No, no, 
I was just working there, you know, uh, just trying to pick up a gig. I was working dinner theater in, in Tokyo, trying to get a, a couple extra dollars, you know. It's not easy uh, being a ghost in show business nowadays. So well, you're actually in show business? Well, of course I'm in show business. You know, you never heard of Pigeon Ghost? Look at the uh, credits of some of the movies that you've, that you've been watching. You'll, you'll see me if there's a ghost in the movie. Chances are I'm involved in it uh, in some way, shape, or form. Okay, so what movies are you in, uh, Pinch of Ghost? Well, um, I've been in uh, Scrooged with Bill Murray, if you remember that one. Uh, it was actually the understudy for the Ghost of Christmas Past, and boy, was that guy ever a jerk. I'll tell you what, he, he treated me really badly. You know, he made me sit outside and wouldn't give me any of his catering or the sanctimonious bastard he was. Okay, uh, well, I'm, I'm sorry that you had some uh, bad experiences. Uh- oh, don't get me started on this, Jericho. Okay, the, 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 the world of, of being a ghost actor is very cutthroat, okay? They will cut your throat in a New York minute. Let me tell you this, and even though it's the afterlife, and it doesn't hurt when I get my throat cut, it still hurts me deep inside, okay? I got a heart too, even though it, I don't, I'm just a ghost, but there's, there's a heart inside of me somewhere, not literally, but figuratively. Yeah, you've got a heart, you know, you've got a feelings, basically. Well, that's really, you don't understand what it's like to be a ghost. Don't try and patronize me, Jericho. So, I, uh, the big one for me was Ghost. I mean, that one really hurts. You mean the movie Ghost? Yeah, the movie Ghost. You know what, uh, I was up for the, for the part of Patrick Swayze at the time. You know, his ghost, of course, because I wasn't alive, I was already dead. But, you know, I used to have kind of the... The, the Patrick Swayze look, and they, they, I, I was made it to the very second last audition. Well, actually the third. I was number three. And uh, I just I couldn't nail it. I was distracted. Uh, there was a, a seance going on. They kept trying to pull me back. You know, trying to, try to say, Pinche, we want to talk. I'm, like, oh, I'm doing an audition here. Don't interrupt me. You know, those, those seances are a real pain in my ass. Let me tell you this. It, uh, you know, they, they, you, you, get, you get dragged away no matter where you are. The other night, I was, uh, I was having a little uh, alone time with, with Catherine from Wuthering Heights, you know, the, the ghost girl. She's pretty hot for an 18th century chick. She's a little bit of a prude, but whatever. And I was finally almost going to get to the, the second base, and, and I get pulled back for a stupid seance, probably by that Jeff Belanger guy you had on your show. He's a good one. He can, he, he can find us wherever we are. So you're saying seances are, are bad? Yes, and it... Caused me to lose the ghost audition, uh, Ghostbusters. You know, I, I, I was one of the ghosts flying around the city, but it was not a glory part. I hardly got any FaceTime. My residuals for that are crappy. It was not, it was not the Ghostbusters. When they first announced Ghostbusters, all of my friends and I were so excited because we thought, now finally, we get to we get to be the stars. They said Ghostbusters. Little did I know I was just gonna be stuck in the back. Well, I mean, that's sad. It seems like you've had uh, some, some tough times. Uh, anything else that you were almost in, Pinchy Ghost? Oh, let me tell you something right now. If I ever see that Casper the Ghost, I'm going to kick his ass. I'm going to kick his ass from here to Tripoli. You understand me? Why is that? Dude, I was the one who signed the original deal. It was originally supposed to be called Pinche the Friendly Ghost. And that, that little rat bastard came in and undercut me he planted some, some cocaine in my dressing room. He, he started a rumor that I was dating my 17-year-old ghost cousin. He got me blackballed from, from Hollywood for years. This was back in 1930. I've been a ghost a long time, Jericho. And I tell you what, that if I ever see that Casper, 
I will take the sheet right off his head, and I'm gonna take that sheet, and I'm gonna throw it in the garbage, and put it in a shredder, and then he won't have no sheet no more, and we'll see how friendly that little bitch is then, Casper. Wow, um... Okay, Pinch of Ghost, uh, it seems like you, maybe you've got some some anger issues toward a lot of these ghosts, and I apologize for that, but I appreciate you calling calling in, and, uh... Chris, please, hold on, I, 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 I must apologize, I, I got the... I got a little carried away, and I, I don't want to, to, to let people think that I have a bad temper. Uh, it's just that I cast my ghost, make me so bad! But I'm going to control myself, and uh, I gotta be honest with you, brother. I'm calling you because I need some work. I mean, I got nothing going on over here. I mean, Japan has dried up for me, and uh, Hollywood, the Casper Blackball really never went away. And if you need a, a co-host for your show, uh... You know where to find me. I, I can do anything you want. I can spy on people. I can, if you want to be one of those shock jocks, I can go into a girl's dressing room and, and hide in the corner and they'll never see me. Okay, pinch of ghost. Well, I appreciate that. I'll, I'll, I'll keep it in mind. So, uh. Okay, Chris, well, just keep me in mind, okay? I'll, uh, is there an email address I can send my resume or a picture or. Yeah, yeah, I'll get back to you. Just stay on the line, uh, after we leave. Wow. Sounds like Pinch of Ghost needs some therapy. Well, um, I'm glad that he called in. I just hope that we never, ever hear from him again. Two-time Olympic gold medalist Kaylee Humphreys, who pilots the two-woman bobsled team for Canada. Two gold medals in Sochi. She's coming up right... The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. On the line right now. One of the most famous Canadians on the planet right now after winning a second gold medal in bobsledding. She's the master of her sport. She's the best in the world at what she does. Kaylee Humphreys is here. Hello. Hi. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Congratulations on your big victory yet again. And it's funny because we saw each other about two or three months ago and you were just talking about how you're in, in heavy training and how you're hoping to win again. And look what happens. You won. Yes, it did. I know. And funny, our conversation was about, you know, graceful exits and retirement and all that kind of stuff. I was like, I swear I'm not ready to go. That's right. It was so funny because, you know, I, I haven't lived in Canada for a while. So when I showed up for... Uh, for the George Strombopoulos show, George Snuffleupagus, as I like to call him, <laughs> yeah. I just I saw you. I, I knew Olympic bobsled. I saw this 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 girl with like half mohawk and like tattoos. I was like, wow, she looks really cool. And little <laughs> did I know just who exactly you were. I mean, you are probably one of the most recognized athletes from the Olympics this year. Well, thank you. Yeah, we've um, we worked hard on on building up a brand and an image, and it's. Uh I mean, it's nothing without results, I guess, but it's uh, paid off. So. Well, let's talk about this. I mean, I know you just came home uh, a couple days ago. You're in Calgary right now. Is that right? That is correct, yeah. So uh, you still have a little jet lag going on? I do. It's hard. I think I was literally, I was so tired. I mean, I didn't sleep for probably oh, a full 48 hours, and I probably had only about mm, six hours sleep in the last, 
I want to so, say probably five or six days. So jet lag hasn't really hit me, mostly just because my body is so exhausted all the time that I'm sleeping when I can, but it's, uh, it'll hit me soon enough. Well, how long were you over in Sochi for? Uh, well, we left Calgary, we left Canada December 27th. So we had a full World Cup circuit. We had four races after Christmas. Oh. And we were over there from December 27th right up until um, we left on the 24th, right after opening ceremonies of February. So it had been, we were in Sochi for two and a half weeks, but we had been over in Europe and there was only a, like a three hour time difference. So is that how it works for, for most of the Olympic athletes? Do you do world championships first and then go straight into the Olympics? Yes. So some sports will have a world championships and an Olympics in the same year. Bobsleigh only has a world championship or an Olympics in that fourth year. Uh Otherwise, we've got the other ones the other years. Um, And some sports have competitions. Like I know Alex Bilodeau, he had five more World Cup events after the Olympics. Some of the speed skaters, similar. They had races and World Cup events and World Championships after the Games. We're very lucky in bobsleigh. We build up. So the Olympics or the World Championships is our biggest kind of grand finale, ta-da. Uh-huh. Um, and then we're completely done afterwards. And, oh, I'm so lucky we're like <laughs> how, how many How many uh, competitions did you have before the Olympics? We had eight World Cup races. And did you, how, many, did you, how many of those did you win? Um, four. Okay. Three, three or four of them. And then had medaled on a couple. And then a couple of them I had completely bombed. <laughs> So is it kind of like um, like the Golden Globes and the Oscars? Like if somebody wins a Golden Globe, then chances are they're probably going to win an Oscar as well. Or is it so? Is it a lot of different um, variables in, in winning, you know, a gold medal or winning a race in bobsledding? Um, I think it's a combo of both. I mean, we've been pretty consistent this year. It's been us and the Americans, and then the odd race we had a Swiss girl or, or a German up there. Mm-hmm. But this year, North Americans have definitely swept the podium on almost all each and every one of the World Cup races. So it was pretty known at the games what was going to happen. It just, no one knew for sure what order it was going to be in. Right. The top three of us in North America were going to be somewhere in the top five for sure. Um, There's always surprises though. I mean, I never count anybody out, especially in our sport. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, so, I mean, obviously, I mean, you won the Olympic gold in 2010 in Vancouver. So when you, when you show up like at the World Cup uh, races going into the Olympics, do you kind of have a little bit of a, of a reputation? Like, oh, there she is. Or, or you know, th- there they are. They won the gold medal. Like, do you kind of have, are, are people intimidated by you or do they hate you because they just want to beat you now? <laughs> I think it's a combo of both. I mean, it's um, definitely when you show up, I mean, I, I can't be the underdog anymore. I, I'm not the one where, you know, you show up and you just try and do your best. Mm-hmm. People are gunning for me each and every race as since Vancouver's happened. You know, I've done better and better. I've learned. I've grown. Um, I've become more consistent. And so it makes it harder for my other competitors. And I'm sure right. that gets annoying hearing the Canadian national anthem to a lot of the other <laughs> nations as well. So there's going to be some points when they're going to hate me and just want to hear something else. Right. Um, but at the same time, I mean... I get along with a lot of the other nations, and we're a very close-knit family in Bobsleigh, no matter what nation you're from. And so when you're seeing your friends winning and competing, I mean, some of my best friends are are German and Swiss and and the Americans, and when you see them do their very best, regardless of how you do, that's always extremely fun to watch and be a part of as well. So I think there's a bit of both. You definitely get... You know, you definitely get the the rivalry and and the fact you want to win and people are gunning for you 100%, especially when you've got the target on your back. But at the same time, everyone knows and you kind of live together for six months a year. We're gone from home a lot. And so 
these people become your family and you learn and grow with them. That's interesting. It's like uh, being on the road in wrestling or, or with, with, a, with, with a band. It's like you see the same people, so they do become your on-the-road family. Um, yeah. Who exactly is your big, was your biggest rival uh, this year or you know, over the last four years? Um, I would say, especially over the last couple of years, my biggest rival was Alana Myers from America. She was USA 1. Um, she was bronze medalist and a brakeman, so the person at the back that pushes the sled in 2010. Mm-hmm. And she changed to become a pilot after 2010. And so she's been growing and building, but the last two years she's really come out. She's oh, so strong. She is a beast in the best way possible on the push. And you stick two really, really fast girls, one other with her, and, I mean, she just dominates the start, so it's been a challenge to really have to keep up with her and not let her get right. too far ahead, because if she gets too far ahead, no matter how good I drive, I can't really keep up. But we have this thing, her and I, we call it the Battle Royale, <laughs> and um, we actually end up having the same coach. So going into this season, she started working with my start and strength coach. Yeah. And, um, and so that was a decision that, I mean, wasn't the easiest one to make, but I knew if I wanted to win, I was going to need to be pushed in order to do so to not become complacent. Well, sure, and sure. She wanted to, she wanted to win and, and take my spot, and we're both very, very similar people. We respect each other and, and the people that we are, and I don't just mean within sport, but mm-hmm. characteristics and all above. So her and I are able to have this this very friendly battle that uh, that kind of goes on, and it's not malicious in any intent, and it's just fun, and we get to be who we're meant to be, and we know we both know that when we step on the line, it's it's us versus the track, and, and that's it. And well, so definitely Alana was my biggest competition in the last couple of years. Well, let's talk about that for a second. I mean, bobsledding, not the most well-known of sports, and you mentioned there was a driver and a brakeman, and you're, 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 you're the pilot, right? You're the driver. That's your position? I am, yes. I right. spent the first three years in the sport, I was a brakeman. So from 2003 okay. well, to 06. I was, so I played both spots. So what, what, what does, what's the difference between the two? Because like, for a layman watching the sport, I mean, obviously it's so much more difficult than this, but it's almost like watching NASCAR. Okay, here's a bunch of guys driving around in a circle, and yet this guy's better than this guy. For you guys, you get on, you get on the bobsled, you go down the track as fast as you can go, and then it's over. What is the... The, the chemistry between you and your partner Heather. Uh, that that uh, how do you work together to get the fastest? Like I guess, what's the concept of how to win, basically? Yeah, well, in our sport, so there's three elements to it, and our sport has a lot of technical parts that most people don't see. I definitely, I definitely know what you're talking about, and I mean, on a track, it looks fairly similar, and sometimes we make it look fairly easy, but there's a lot of different and little tiny components that can make or break a race. And when a race can be won or lost by a hundredth of a second, which is less than the width of a hair, it's, right. uh, you're really trying to maximize each and every single opportunity. But you have to have the start first and foremost. You have to be one of the fastest at the start. Um, that's the, the start is the first 50 meters. Uh-huh. and It's the only chance you really have to accelerate the sled going down the hill. Okay. Every steer that I make as a pilot really just slows the slows the bobsled down, and so as a pilot, you try and steer right on the edge. You don't want to steer too much. You want to allow the sled to run and be free, but you got to control it in the exact right point in order mm-hmm. to accelerate out. And okay. so the drive is another portion of the track, and the pilot is fully responsible to that. Once the pilot and brakeman jump in after the first 50 meters, um, it's the pilot's sole responsibility to drive the bobsled down the track, and each and every track is different with the amount of corners, different pressures, right. what you do, um, all the work that goes into becoming a pilot. It, they say it takes 8 to 10 years to build a really good pilot. It's, um, it's a skill that 
it takes time to develop, especially sure. because you can't do it as often as we would like. It's not like bobsled tracks are just open year-round and you can just find some or, or build a simulator. It's not that easy. Um, and then the third component is equipment. You have to be able to have the equipment and some of the world's best equipment, which includes the sled itself, as well as the steel blade that the sled runs on. We oh. call them runners. Uh-huh. Um, and so you've got to be able to have the world's best there. And, and finding all of that equipment and or all the research and development that goes into rocks and different shapes of runners and carbon fiber versus you know metal and do you have rubbers in this part and mm-hmm. articulation springs and axles and... There's, so uh, there's how how fast how fast do you guys go when you're when you're when you're at your peak? Um, every track is different. So the fastest track in the world is Whistler oh. in Canada. Um, the next fastest track is in Saint Moritz in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. And Saint Moritz is about 140, and Whistler you get going about 150 kilometers per hour. The average track is about 130 kilometers per hour. Has anybody ever wiped out going that fast? Oh yes. It happens a lot. I crashed this year um, in Whistler, actually. We were going about 148. Oh, my so gosh. So it happens. I mean, when you're right on the edge and you're trying to understand and learn a track and you're trying to push the limits of what's too much and what's not enough, mm-hmm. you're within inches or, you know, a quarter of an inch, a little too high or a little too low, which, you know, could be make or break the difference of you rolling out of a corner or accelerating out. And so crashing is part of the sport. It's what happens. It's, it's never nice. Yeah, it's definitely a really so, harsh no, part, and you have no control when you do. So anything is possible. There's there's control. not a lot of room when you wipe out. Like what happens? Does the no. bobsled flip over on top of you, or do you fly off yeah. the track, or what happens? Both. Wow. Um, yeah, that's it's never nice when it does. The bobsled can leave the track, and that's happened before. It happened in 2005, and um, a girl had died. Oh, that's um, right. It's. Um, I mean. You'll see, you'll see sleds that'll leave the track. The, usually what happens is you just turn over, mm-hmm. um, and now you've got a 200-kilo sled on top of you, and it doesn't slow down much. It doesn't stop, not like in the movie Cool Runnings where it just stops around <laughs> the corner. Yeah. That, uh, that doesn't happen. It keeps going. It's just, and now you have 5Gs, but instead of just the pressure on top of you pushing you down, you've got that amplified by about a 200-kilo sled on top of you pushing you down into the ice. So ice burns are pretty prevalent. Uh, in our sport, and concussions are, are another big one. So we do everything we can to minimize the risks. But well, you're, like but you're, bas- you're basically risking your life, is what you're saying. And what kind of padding do you wear uh, when when you're on the bobsled and you're in your outfit? Nothing. Nothing. You just have it, your cotton. Make sure you wear your cotton t-shirt so it doesn't disintegrate. Wow. Brakemen wear um, what we call a burn vest, so it's a Kevlar vest that covers their arms. It comes down to kind of mid chest area. So made of the same, I mean, Kevlar, the same kind of stuff that Bulletproof vests yes. are made of. Um, so a lot of the brakemen will wear a Kevlar vest just to, to guarantee or to make sure. It helps with ice burn. It for sure will prevent it a little bit, but it definitely does not make it go away. It's, it's not a, a foolproof safety something. When you're first with somebody learning to drive, a lot of the time we'll wear like hockey shoulder pads and kind of motocross equipment on our shoulders just because you know the risk of, of crashing is way higher. And when you do crash, you want to make sure you got that hard plastic just to protect your, your skin and your body. But uh, Wow. Yeah, that's uh, – you are pretty much – it would be like driving on a motorcycle and, and wiping out with just a T-shirt yeah. and jeans on, basically. Yeah. So you're talking about your bobsled and how it has to be, you know, kind of uh, really well-made. And is it, kind of, is it kind of like a NASCAR or, you know, where, where there's a sponsor who makes the, the, the bobsled for you? Is this your bobsled you were using? This is my bobsled. We only get one of them. 
Uh, we travel around the world with just one. Um, mm-hmm. We're really lucky in Canada. We've got a company called Eurotech that makes our sleds. It's a Dutch company, and they came on board with us right after the 2010 Olympics. And Eurotech used to build race cars, uh, F2 and F3 cars for, um, it was Marcos Racing Company, but BMW with the Americans, they came on board. We had Ferrari come on board, and um, we've had a bunch of different companies from a lot of the different sports. Um, but F1, Formula One, it's all very similar in regards to the development mm. of sleds and cars and drivers and how it all kind of works. And so, so yeah, it's there's lots of intricate details that. Did, did they make that in, in? Did they make it in Europe, or was did you have to like bring it over from Canada, like check it as a piece of luggage when you flew over? <laughs> no, they make it over in Europe and then they ship it over to you and then you travel around and oh, so, they've got major shipping companies. But you did have to ship it over so you oh, want yeah. that must have suck you you don't want to lose your luggage on that one. No, you don't. It's and they're not cheap either. It's cost like 6 grand to ship a sled each way. Oh yeah. And yeah, they're not the easiest things to travel with. I mean, that's part of our sport too is just trying to prevent injuries when you're traveling and you're humping and dumping equipment. Nothing we have is light. Everything is part of why we're we're bigger athletes, but everything is Mm-hmm. It's fairly heavy. The sled, again, a two-man sled weighs about well, close to 200 kilos, and you're moving that thing on a daily basis in and out of hotels and garages, in and out of trucks, in and out of sea, shipping crates and sea crates. So it's it's a never-ending job. That, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, you have a lot of you have to have a lot of power, and, and just the way that you're built, you're very muscular. Your legs are very, very uh, you know big and built. What kind of training do you do to get prepared uh, for, for for the World Championship Games and for the Olympics? Um, well, we train, I usually get one month a year off, so I will train and or compete the other 11 months of the year. Re- um, every year? Every year. Wow. Yeah. It, it takes a lot. So you'll want to start the season off in October about 90% physically ready to go, and you'll kind of race yourself into 100% shape. Everything we do is built for peaking in a February, mm-hmm. which will be either that World Championships or Olympics. So we train like the Olympic lifters do, but also like the Olympic sprinters do. So our training is a combo of a couple different elements, but all trained six days a week, anywhere from four to seven hours a day. This is a, a full-time job. Doing what? Like a, a lot of squats or what kind of stuff do you train? Yeah, squats, lunges, um, power cleans, snatch, like all of the Olympic lifts. Um, you'll do some upper body. You'll do a lot of like medicine ball throws, a lot of hopping, a lot of sprinting. I mean, we'll, we don't do much long distance. Everything we do is anywhere from 10 to about 60-meter sprints, mm-hmm. but super explosive, super power, powerful all out. So it's very short. I can get from A to B really quickly, but anything over about 100 meters, I die extremely <laughs> fast. But, I mean, so, so that's something I think people don't really realize is that Olympic athletes, it's not just a one-every-four-year type thing. You guys are working and racing and training and, and, and competing basically – all year long for in between the four-year period of the Olympics. You do. I mean, the Olympics is, is that, you know, February once every four years, but it's how you get to that that makes mm-hmm. the biggest difference. You can't just show up at a Games and all of a sudden be miraculous and, and be the best. Everything in that three and three-quarter years leading into that Olympic year is really what builds you. It, what, it's what molds you. Um, mm-hmm. It's how you grow. It's how you learn. It's, it's what happens in those three and a half years to get you to that point, how right. well you're prepared and, and how physically ready you are. Um, and that's where a lot of people don't fully understand it, but we don't really get much time off. Everything is, um, if you're dedicating a, a four-year cycle for an Olympic Games, it's, it's a full four years. 
and you put everything you have into that four years to be the very best on on one day at the end, and you know you hope you've done enough to to take home the gold at the end of that one right. day. But it's definitely a four-year commitment on everybody's part from family, friends, sponsors. That's what makes the difference. And, and does that kind of decide, like, I mean, just because you won the gold medal in 2010, does that, like, give you a free pass uh, to 2014? <laughs> no, I wish it did. I really <laughs> wish it did. There are no free passes. I got enough people that are gunning for my spot. And um, I think that's a mistake that a lot of athletes make, actually, where you think where you just it's really it's so easy. And I did it for a bit, but you just become really complacent and you do. You start to think you're, you know, you're it and you got mm-hmm, it and mm-hmm. you're good. And, you know, but there's always somebody up and coming. There's always somebody, you know, it, it's hard to stay on top. It's easier to, to gain momentum and be there when you've, you know, you're aiming for something instead of just trying to stay there. And so... That was part of my decision to train with, you know, the second-ranked woman in the world because I needed somebody at that level to to always be pushing me mm-hmm. and to always, you know, prove to me what it means to be chasing something. And so it's, uh, no, there's no free passes, not have, in sport, not in life. There never is. <laughs> Has there been people that have gotten a gold medal one year and didn't even make it to the Olympics the, the next? Um, I'm sure there has. Uh, I know in our sport there had never been a repeat gold medalist, so yeah, first time ever in history for us, yeah, in women's bobsleigh. But I don't know in regards to not making it. But it could happen though if you don't oh, uh, stay on track. Yep, one hundred percent. If you haven't prepared in those three years going in, um, and you you know you become complacent and or you just you haven't worked hard enough, a hundred percent. And I bet you not so much in our sport, but I know tons and tons of other sports. There have been people that have medaled in an Olympics and not made it the following Olympic cycle to um It could happen. Qualify. It's so, like winning the Stanley Cup one year and not even making the playoffs the next. The next. It happens a lot, actually. So it's, uh, you gotta it's all about st- balance and hard work. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This this is Talk is Jericho. Welcome back to Talk is Jericho. Kaylee Humphreys is here. Two-time gold medalist. Do you wear wear your uh, gold medals with you all the time? Do you have them around your neck right now? (laughs) Not right now, actually. It gets heavy. It's heavy, and it weighs down Is it? Yeah, it is. They're surprisingly heavy. You don't realize it until you actually get to put it on. But I did, I will admit, the first couple days, I legit wore it everywhere. And then I started (laughs) to get real bad cramps in my traps and everything. And I was like, this has to come off, and it's so disheartening because... Who yeah, wants to take off a gold medal, but I'm like, I can't, I can't do it. I'm getting <laughs> it, a headache. It's funny. There was a guy in the WWE that uh, he won a gold medal in, in wrestling in '96 heavyweight. His name was Kurt Angle, and he had an actual gold medal. And they wanted him to wear it to the ring all the time. And he was like, "Are you kidding me? I'm not going to take this to the ring where someone takes it away and someone could steal it." So they made a fake one for him that weighed about you know 10 percent of what the actual gold medal weighs because that thing is very heavy. Like you said, it was about f- three or four pounds or something. Yeah, they get there. I mean, they're solid metal, and they do they do weigh you down. And a hundred percent. I mean, I try and I'll, if I take it with me, chances are I'm wearing it, or it's right at my side in my pocket. Yeah. Because um, 
Yeah, you yeah, got to make sure. No insurance for that. You yeah, that's right. Don't get those back. So tell us about uh, Sochi. Tell us about what it's like when you, I mean, I've never been in the Olympics, so I don't know, like, what happens? Is, do you check in at the front desk when you get there, or <laughs> how does it work? Uh, well, each Olympics is different. I mean, Sochi was very different compared to Vancouver. Vancouver being a home game, we had a lot more leeway with mm-hmm. a lot of stuff. I mean, transportation was easier. Um, we could kind of set things up a little bit differently, where Russia, I mean, just getting visas alone to get into the country is is extremely hard. That was a bit of a nightmare. So your accreditation in order to be an Olympic athlete when you first get in, that was our kind of pass in and visa into being in the country for a bit. But, no, you, we had set it up so that um, we had got our accreditations kind of the night before we had traveled to Russia. Right. And then you check into the country and that's it. You're there. And each athlete's going to have a bit of a different story and how it works because everyone competes on different days. Mm-hmm. Right from day one to, you know, that, that 12th or 14th day, you're competing every single day. People are competing. And so if you're one of the ones on the first day, chances are you're not doing opening ceremonies. You've already started training and you're competing. And then mm-hmm. you've got people right up to the last day and they usually miss closing ceremonies. We're lucky because we kind of compete near the end, so we can do both ceremonies. But at the same time, we had five days where we couldn't do anything when we first got to the village. So we checked in. We had seen both villages, the village up in the mountain as well as down in the coast. Um, Heather and I decided to stay down on the coast for five days and take in our Olympic experience. We went to the very first women's hockey game. Oh, okay. We on our fellow you know, Canadian team, watched them win that, and then I basically shut it down. I watched no Olympics, little to none, and I pretended like it wasn't going on. It sounds a little backwards, a little off, but it was one of those. Um, it was one of those ways for me to just relieve pressure and stress. It's, well, yeah, I, I can see that because if you had your, you know, so what day of the Olympics was your was your first event? You said five days in. Uh, we competed on the 18th and 19th, and it started opening ceremonies was the seventh. Okay, so that's yeah, like you said, that's like 12 days or 11 days or whatever it is yeah. of basically just. I think the, the stress and the pressure and the anticipation would drive me crazy. Yeah, it does, and it can, and it does to a lot of athletes. And working four years and then letting something as simple yeah. as you know you got too excited watching your friends compete or you just too much walking. Another uh-huh. thing that people don't realize, there's no cars really in the village. You don't drive around, so you're walking everywhere. Uh-huh. Well, that's more walking than you ever do anywhere in the years leading up. And, I mean, at the end of the day, and it's going to sound really bad, but I, an Olympic Games, my job doesn't change. It's yeah. the exact same as a World Cup race, which is the exact same as Canadian Championships or you know a provincial race. The job that I do, push as hard as I can, drive the sled the very best that I can down that track, well, that and that, part that doesn't change. Yeah, that's how you have to treat it, even though, you know, instead of, well, I don't know, a million people watching, you have 30 million people watching you in the eyes of the world or upon you, but you can't look at it that way because then the, the pressure would break you. It does, and that was one thing that I really had to, especially this Olympics and especially Sochi, you know, Vancouver, I was the underdog, but this time I had that huge target and no one had defended and people are talking about, you know, making history and doing this, and I was like, I all my energy needs to go into, mm-hmm. you know, I would sit there in my room and watch Grey's Anatomy and, and Glee <laughs> and as many shows as I could possibly watch just to, you know, A, they're in English and B, just kind of zone out and drown well, out everything that was going on, just take well, some time. And What were the accommodations like? I mean, we heard a lot of different rumors and a lot of different people were saying that, you know, you couldn't flush toilet paper down the toilet and the elevators were broken and... Uh, there was no pillows and no hot water. And did you? What did you experience in, in your in your room, so to speak? Um, yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, the rooms are, they weren't the biggest of rooms, mm-hmm. um, to say the least. But And the first couple of days, I mean, the village where we had stayed, our building, the Canadian building, everyone kind of has their own buildings. It's kind of like a, a block. Okay. And there's a whole bunch of different apartment buildings, and each apartment yeah. you know, complex is, is covered in different people's flags, except for the Americans. They had no flags on their building, which I thought was extremely weird. But for the safety of everybody, we were happy to have that happen. Um, but I think it was one of those, like, everyone had their different flags and everybody has their different building. And mm-hmm. we had issues with showers, definitely leaking, but the building had just been built probably, ooh, um, it'd been finished probably only three days before we got there. Yeah. So last minute things that were going on with, Toilets and yeah, the picture that you see going around of the double toilets <laughs> yeah. that we didn't experience. I don't. I still have yet to see that photo, but no, that we didn't experience. They were just. Did you have shower curtains? New. Did you have shower curtains? Uh, we did. Oh, good. We had individual showers, yeah, with shower <laughs> curtains, and they just looked like brand new, you know, ready to to put up building complexes. I mean, there was nothing out of the ordinary. In all fairness, things that you'd expect from a brand new apartment yeah, brand new place in Russia. It's not like you're in Vancouver again. I'm sure everything in Russia is a little bit different from what you're going to experience in Canada. It definitely is. So when, where, where do you guys eat? Is there like a big uh, mess hall, like at summer camp? Basically, yep. So, yeah. do, so do the Canadians sit at one table and the Americans sit at another and the Russians sit at the other and the Swiss sit at another? Um, kind of. It depends. I mean, it's weird because the very first time, the very first Olympics, you walk into a food hall and you can see people. Yeah. And you start to notice, and you're like, holy crap, okay, that's so-and-so and that's so-and-so. <laughs> and that's, those are people that you've seen and that you've idolized, that you've watched growing up. And it's, it can be a, a terrifying place, but it's basically like a cafeteria at a school. Yeah. You walk in and you're definitely going to have your groups. You're going to get your sports that sit together. You're going to get your countries that sit together. You know, you walk in and people all stare at you and you're walking in and staring at other people and there's judging going on. And, you know, it's, it feels like the, you've got, your, you know, the cool kid group and this group over here and the nerds over here. But <laughs> there isn't that because no one knows titles. It's more just by nation. And yeah. You get some sports that are a lot more um, open with a lot of the other countries. Bosley is one of them. I mean, it's nothing for me to go to sit with the Germans or the Swiss or the Americans. Um, but yet, I know some sports are not that way. Well, who's, who's, and, who's the snobbiest sport? What's the snobbiest sport? Um, I don't know, in all fairness. I mean, I didn't involve myself too much with a lot of other political stuff with a lot of the other sports, just because, again, I don't have time to really... Yeah think about that or or go with that but i know i mean you're never going to get the women's hockey team that's going to sit canada sitting right next to america i got you You know that doesn't happen and you know that there's certain teams that just have have rivals um at the same time you know there's you know that there's relationships that happen that people you know are dating other people from other countries oh yeah go on too and so there's just you never really know who's friends with who or who, you know, who's where and, and how it all works. So you just, it's just interesting to see. Do, do people dynamics. hook up at the, uh, at the games that they've never met? Like, oh, that figure skater from, from you know, Lithuania <laughs> is pretty hot. <laughs> I'm sure there is. <laughs> I, I can't really comment too much on how it all works. I can tell you right now it's not what everybody thinks. Yeah, you know, people just don't go around hooking up like no one's business, and you know all those those condom statistics that go around. That does <laughs> not happen. We are all athletes trying to do the very best we can, and we have trained four years to 
to get to one day of competition. It's not a, a free-for-all at the same time. I mean, it's like anything. It's well, We are all human and... Yeah, well, of course. The, uh, yeah, absolutely. Things I, I would think, first of all, I bet you that figure skaters are snobby. They got too many frills. They got a lot of frills and yes a lot of no, spangles. Actually. I mean, I didn't really talk to many. I only know our Canadian figure skaters, but our Canadian figure skaters are awesome. Like Patrick Chen is brilliant. I got to know him this last game, and he is one of my favorite people. Let me tell you, he is awesome. And Scott and Tessa, they are some of the most down-to-earth, super cool okay. people you have ever met. And it's like Caitlin and Andrew, I mean, Caitlin all year on World Cup, when I met them last year um, at the Olympic Excellence Series, which is an mm-hmm. event that we put on kind of a couple, once a year just to prepare us for an Olympics. And she, Caitlin had sent me messages throughout the World Cup circuit this year, like, good job, congratulations, whenever I would do well at a race. So they are, no, not snobby at all. They are <laughs> true teammates that are there for you and so excited. I mean, after we had won and going down to the village and being able to see everybody, I mean, it was just, it was awesome to, again, see Patrick and, and see these guys and everyone just runs up and, you, like, you're running up to Tess and Scott and you're giving them congratulations and they're hugging you back and, no, they're amazing so, people. So is that the kind of the camaraderie that you get, like, after you won the gold medal, like, when you're walking around the village, does every Canadian kind of know, like, you guys keep an eye on the other sports for your respective co- countries? Like, no, oh, for sure. And so yes, you, you, you congratulate each other, you won a bronze, you won a silver, or, you know, had a good race? Good job, yeah, sort of thing. I mean, you're always going to have your friends from other sports for sure that you're going to watch a bit more closely. Um, yeah. Medal or no medal, you're, you're going to have your friends from other sports. But everybody knows the Canadian Olympic Committee does an amazing job of bringing us together. I mentioned the Olympic Excellence Series once a year. Uh, the COC runs this mm-hmm. series. And if you're ranked top five in the world, you go. So you get to know your other teammates from other sports so that when you get to an Olympics in that fourth year, you're not sitting at a lunch table going, oh, what am I supposed to do and sit by yourself? It yeah. feels more comfortable to be around these people all the time. And they sure. do. They become your other family. And so, yeah, I mean, after Charles Hamlin had won his first one, and, and I'm lucky enough to um, be sponsored by a lot of the same people he is, it was so amazing. Like, you see him the first time, and it's 10 o'clock at night, and he's heading up in the elevator, and you just run over, and you're like, oh, my God, congratulations. Yeah. And, you know, you run into people randomly after your event, and he did the same thing. We were just walking around the village, and he had spotted us from miles away and came running over. So you definitely get super, super excited for Absolutely. your teammates. Absolutely. That's part family. of why I can't watch anything in the lead-up to my events, because I just, I mean, I know these people and what they've given and how much they've sacrificed, and I want it just as badly for them as I do for myself. And so it, it can become very overwhelming. But to have that support, the Canadian Olympic Committee has done an amazing job, and, and Canada and all of us athletes, I mean, win, lose, or draw, everyone is so supportive, and I'm proud of each and every one of them for how they did in Sochi. I, I just love the, uh, the concept of everybody eating in a big mess hall with, like, the Canadians <laughs> at one table and the Russians at it. Is there, is there, like, it is. Is there, like, it's bullies? Exactly like, is, is there a country that's a bully? <laughs> like, no, there's no bullies. And this is the thing, because there's no, yeah, I mean, it's the Olympics, and no, there's definitely no bullies, but there's definitely, you know, you get your, because we're all different, you get your shy athletes. Um, but you definitely get people that you know. Like as soon as the men's hockey team comes in, because they're not there for the first um, right, couple yeah. of days anyways, they come in and then it's like, oh my gosh. Well, because, yeah, that's, you, that's your million-dollar athletes walking in the door, right? You do, but the fact that you can like sit down at a table and like just go up to Crosby and be like, hey, how's it going? And you're both eating your McDonald's. <laughs> I mean, it, it just, that's awesome. That's what the Olympics are all about. And so it's, um, it definitely, it's an eye-opener for sure. 
Yeah, I, I get this like mental image of like you know uh, San Luis walking down the middle of the aisle with his with his lunch, and then like one of the Russians trips him, so he falls into his lunch, and then it starts a big food fight brawl. You know, that's kind of what I'm no getting one. with this. Yeah, like that's that, that that maybe next year we should try and figure out how to how to make that happen. I don't think that happens. People are pretty respectful. Ah. It's one of those like you're gonna get. You'll see it, and you'll see, you know, the faces and the skulls, but no one really, I mean, there's no bad-mouthing, there's no talking, everyone just sticks to, to who they are and what they do. And, and what do you, what, how's the food there? You mentioned McDonald's, is that kind of the stuff that you're eating, or do they have catering there? No, they've got, uh, McDonald's is one of the Olympic partners, so yeah. down in the coastal village, they do, they do have a McDonald's, and um, the Mountain Village did not, so every Olympics is different. Um, we had a McDonald's in each village in Vancouver. Okay. But, um, no, it's, it's basically like a really big cafeteria. So a lot of the athletes, I mean, depending on whether you've just finished competing, whether you're starting competing, whether you've got to, you know, what types of food you're eating to keep on weight or whether mm-hmm. you're trying to lose weight, um, every athlete in every sport is completely different. But, no, they have, they have like a halal section. They have, you know, the, the Asian section. They've got pizzas. They've got pastas. Oh, they've wow. got meat and veggies and like a salad bar and, and different drink sections. So it's. Yeah, it's just it's like a big buffet. A big, yep, exactly. So, so what happens like after you won the gold medal? Then you still have to stay at the Olympics uh, for another probably four or five days, whatever it was for you. Yeah. What do you do after? Oh, then it's just a free for all. Then it's party. Then it's it's everything. So, I mean, after you win, you're doing media right away. We mm-hmm. were up till six in the morning um, right after we had won. A, you've got doping, so you're peeing first in front of somebody, and then <laughs> you're heading down. And because it's eleven hours time change. We had stayed up mostly just to do a lot of media, like early morning stuff yeah. here in Canada. Um, so you spend a good couple, like two of those days, you're really just trying to hit the media part. That's the part of the business side of sport and amateur athletics that you're trying to maximize. Sponsorships, partnerships, really trying to sell and build your brand mm-hmm. as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're also trying to hit up as many events as you can. Because we had avoided a lot of the events before, I mean, at that point, you really want to support your team. So, I mean, we had gone to, um, we tried to do the women's hockey, but that was our medal ceremony. So that's when we had sent them a letter just to, to show yeah. support. But we'd gone to the, the men's curling and the men's semifinal and the men's final hockey game. And you're, you know, you're going to skiing and snowboarding and ski cross. And you're literally just trying to go to as many events as you possibly can get in just to, to have fun and live it up. I, like I said, I probably slept like six hours in three <laughs> days just. So, so is, and... is there bars there in the village? Not in the village, mm-hmm. but outside the village, yes. And sometimes, I mean, if you're with other people that are done competing too, certain rooms just become kind of... <laughs> party rooms. Party rooms. Um, again, you're trying to respect your fellow teammates because everyone competes right up until the last day. And yeah. so a lot of the party rooms are usually in separate areas. Um, right, because if someone's trying to sleep, you don't want to keep them awake or whatever. No. No, that would be that would be a nightmare. So everyone's pretty respectful, which is awesome. And but, uh, and uh, so so you so do you go off site to pick up some a couple bottles of alcohol and come back to your room, sort of thing, or do you just go off to the bars in the town? Um, well, yeah, that was a challenge actually because we had gotten given like four bottles of champagne after we had won, and so trying to get back into the village, um, the Russians were extremely tight on bottles. Of really. Alcohol. So um, I had to sit outside security, Heather and I, with a bunch of three random <laughs> dudes that we had met from wearing Canada jerseys, um, and just had drinking, you know, four bottles of champagne, because you can't throw it away. That no. Would be, that would be a waste. 
but, but th- you can't bring it in either. So, yeah, getting um, alcohol into the village was not the easiest by any means. Uh, cans of beer, that was basically all we could but, manage to get inside. But that's the uh, Canadian way anyways. I remember when I was in high school, we used to just get a bottle, steal it from somebody's cabinet, your dad's cabinet, and just go walk around the streets and drink it. <laughs> yeah, so that's yeah, no big deal, right? Basically, no big deal. <laughs> It's basically what happens. <laughs> and so tell, tell us about the closing ceremonies. You got to carry, be the flag bearer, is that correct? Yes, that is correct. So how, was, how do they decide that? Um, I'm not 100% sure. I know they had run like this, a bit of a voting system. I'm not sure who gets the ultimate or final say, whether it's all on votes or tallies. Um, but I believe the Canadian Olympic, Olympic Committee chooses somebody that they feel, you know, has really made a difference during yeah. that games. And, I mean, being able to be the flag bearer at closing ceremonies, there's no pressure. You know, Haley was the most amazing choice for opening ceremonies, to be able to walk behind her, somebody that is an inspiration that I know the whole Canadian team idolizes. Everyone knows that her, was, yeah. Yeah, everyone knows her. She's an amazing person. That was awesome. And then being able to be chosen as one from the Canadian Olympic Committee is, you know, from your fellow peers and your fellow Canadians that, you know, that really shows support for what you've done and who you are as a person. I mm-hmm. mean, it was truly a, a huge honor, a great honor to be able to carry our flag. I mean, you wear it on your speed suits, you wear it on your clothing. It becomes a source of pride. This is who you are during that time as you are representing your country and you want your world to see who we are and uh, how proud we are actually of Canada and of where we're from and the type of people we are. So, And des- describe the feeling, uh, what it's like, too, when you win the medal and you go stand on the podium and you're on top and there's this person beside you and they, they raise the flag with the national anthem. How does that feel? Yeah, it's, uh, it's really hard to describe. It's one of those feelings that, you know, it's um, to know that your national anthem is being played because of you, to know that it's because you went out in a competition and competed the very best that you could, and it was on that given day the very best in the world. I mean, there's no greater feeling than that. Um, not every country is, is the exact same and how it all, their feelings and how it all works, but I know for us as Canada, we sing that national anthem as loud as we possibly can <laughs> when we are up on that podium, too. Yeah. And, um, you know, you just, you want your world to hear. We know all the words. We had sung it in elementary school right up <laughs> yeah. until high school, so... It's, um, yeah, again, it just comes with that pride and, and that honor of knowing that, you know, you, you are the best and your anthem is being played on that day. It's ch- it, you get chills just watching it. I mean, even just as a spectator, I can just imagine what it must be like to be living it. It is. I mean, it's a, it's a surreal experience. It honestly is. And every athlete's going to go through it. It's, it's definitely an emotional one. You know, you'll see athletes that'll just start crying and bawling. People, you know, have worked and sacrificed their lives, in essence, their families, you know, everything in order to get to that moment and Mm -hmm. and to live it and to have it there. Um, You know, some people, you know, definitely close off and and go inward. Some people are definitely more outward, scream explosion type people. Um, Everybody has their moment and what it means to them. So it's it's a a very personal moment, to say the least, and everyone experiences, experiences it differently, but one that... You know, I know every Canadian is sure, of extremely course. proud of. And now that you, you know, you've won the gold medal twice, and you're talking about how you only get one month off a year, and you're you're basically training and working the other eleven months. How do you get your your revenue? Is it all from sponsors? Yes. And so, so I'm very lucky to have some great, great sponsors. Um, but every single athlete isn't the same. Some yeah. athletes work, um, and 
some are able to do it full time due to you know support and, and sponsorship. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, it's all pretty individual. Well, and like I said, just due to your to your look and, and the, the the you know the the amount of amazing accomplishments you have, two gold medals in a row. And you do, like I said, you have a distinctive look. Everyone's going to recognize you. So you come home almost uh, like a Canadian hero, which a lot of, like you said, a lot of Olympic teams, it seems to be every year is one or two people that kind of stand out. And this year, I think from the Winter Olympics from Canada, you're one of them. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, it's, so, so the, I'm just being me. Yeah, that's, that's it. That's who I am, and it's, it's easy when it. You're just you're just a punk rock bobsledding chick. What do you exactly. want? Exactly. <laughs> I definitely have my girly girly side, but at the same time, I mean, <laughs> the sport that I do, I definitely have my badass side too, and I play both sides loud and proud. What, last question for you, uh, Kaylee. Do you go back in twenty eighteen? Is that on the charts yet, or do you just take it take it one day at a time? Right now, I'm taking it one day at a time. After Vancouver, I knew I was going in for another four years, mm-hmm. um, but this time around, it's different. You know, I'm that much older, that much wiser, different goals, different dreams, different things I want to do. So literally, I've thought about it, and I know where I want to go in the next little bit. I just, I also really need to soak in this moment now, and I feel like the best way to do that is just take it day by day. Well, so We will see, to be determined. But as of right now, I can say that I'm, yeah, 90% sure I will do another four years for <laughs> sure. Um, but... You know, there still is that ten percent when I just want to. You never know. And you you just, never does your know. does your partner feel the same way? Um, I'm not exactly sure. Um, I believe Heather is going to take some time off. Um, she's got you know some lingering issues um, with mm-hmm. her hip and with her ankle and stuff. So I know she'll want to rehab and, and figure out that. I'm not sure if she's going to you know try and head to Rio with cycling and or rugby i'm not exactly sure what her plans are but i know she's again taking it day by day and really just trying to soak in all that we did well whatever happens if you come back you will be the front runner to win a third gold medal but even if you don't you won two gold medals in bobsledding uh one of the canadian heroes from the 2014 sochi olympics thank you so much kaylee for doing this today it was awesome learning all these great things my pleasure thank you for having me The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right, we just talked about DDP. If you are in the UK, remember all of my UK friends and family over there. March 2nd to the 10th, he will be doing a speaking words show, as my bud Scott Ian says. Plus, he'll be doing yoga workshops in London on March 1st, Manchester on March 8th. Go to ddpyoga.com under appearances and go check him out, especially if you want to try DDP yoga. It is the greatest thing I've ever done for my life. I'm not just saying that. Changed my life. All right, time to go to the phones. We got Jessica in Virginia on the line. Hello, Jessica. Well, hello. How are you? I am awesome. How are you doing? I'm good. What's your question? Oh, I was wondering, are you going to be singing any new songs off the Ozzy album at Carolina Rebellion? Oh, yeah, Carolina Rebellion. That's a huge show. It's in May. We're really excited. We've been trying to get on that uh, for years, and now we finally have uh, been invited. 
And we are recording a new record right now as we speak. I just came from the studio, from the recording studio, into this studio. I guess they're both recording studios. Eight songs done. And yes, we will be playing one new song for sure. Maybe two at Carolina Rebellion, depending on how long our set is. And the new, yeah. the new song is called Lights Go Out, and that'll be out April 16th. And then the record will be out in June some point in time. I, I cannot wait to see you live again. Oh, I mean, we're excited. Are you, going, are you obviously going to the show? Who, are you, who else are you excited to see? Um, Avenged Sevenfold, Adelaide's Way, yeah. um, Motorhead. Yeah, there's a lot of good bands playing. It's a, it's going to be a, a great show. Uh, that, that's with Kid Rock and Guns N' Roses, Avenged Sevenfold. It's going to be yeah. a, mass, a massive, massive, uh, massive festival. No, is that you know? Is that a Carolina Rebellion, Guns N' Roses, and and and, and Kid Rock, or who else is with Avenged? Um, Kid Rock. Oh, so it is Kid Rock and Guns N' Roses, right? Anytime you see Guns N' Roses on the same poster as as your, your band, you know it's going to be a good show. I don't care who's in the band, who's not. It's still Guns and Frickin' Roses. So it's yeah. going to be an amazing show. We look forward to seeing you there, Jessica, and you will hear some new Fozzie songs. All right. Thank All right. you. You're welcome. Thanks for listening. We're going over to J- Jamal in New Jersey, Frigid, New Jersey. What's going on, Jamal? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing good, man. What's your question? What's going on? I have a, um, a question about mostly the, like the small wrestlers in the business nowadays, and um, how we have like you know, what, what are your thoughts on like when WWE will like give the small guy a chance because we haven't had that you know since you know Eddie Guerrero, and that was like a, a long time ago. When do you think that WWE will get rid of their like their buff guy you know routine of their business and give it to a small guy? Well, I mean, if they've been doing it for the last 20 years, basically, man. I mean, you go from Shawn Michaels to Bret Hart to Kurt Angle to Chris Jericho to Eddie Guerrero. Um, I mean, lots of guys. I mean, Rey Mysterio was the champion. I mean, Daniel yeah. Bryan's getting a, a big shot right now. So the WWE is, is a big man's company. It always has been. That's the way that Vince thinks, and, and now that's the way Triple H thinks. So the big guy will always get uh, more chances but mm-hmm. smaller guys, you know, the cream always rises to the top. That's what Eddie Guerrero told me. He said, if you, if you can wrestle, you'll always have a job. And if you're good, you'll always get to that position. So I never really looked at it as small, medium, or large because I guess I am kind of quote-unquote small for wrestling. I just mm-hmm. looked on it as talent. And if you have talent, especially in this day and age with the roster uh, being kind of thin, you will get your shot. It might take you a little bit longer, but you know that going into the WWE. I mean, you know, you know what it's if – you, if you're 5'10 or 5'11 like I am – when I went to the WWE, I knew it wasn't going to be easy. I knew I'd have to work extra hard. When I got into the wrestling business, I knew it wasn't going to be easy. I mean, when I started in 1990, it was all about giants. Six foot eight, 300 pounds. That was, that was the norm. And yeah. I just knew if I had the best character and I, if I could do something different and, and, and be exciting and be entertaining, I'd always have a job. And then once you get to that point, it stops being about size. It just is more about talent and, you know, how people are reacting. So... Uh, I think small guys will be the same for the from now until forever in the WWE. You're gonna have to work extra hard to get a chance, but once you do, and if you if you if you take advantage and, and produce, you know, and and be great at what you do, you're gonna uh, you're gonna succeed there. Uh, thank you, man. I really appreciate it. All right, Jamal. Thanks for listening, man. I appreciate that. And no thanks problem. to linking to Amazon through Talk Is Jericho at Podcast One every time you go shopping. Amazon kicks back a little cash to the show if you do that, so I can keep bringing you the Pot of Thunder twice a week for free. That costs money. That cowbell, that's a solid gold-plated cowbell. Costs thousands, jewel-encrusted, if you could only see it. Maybe I'll take a picture and Instagram it.
Anyways, thanks for hitting that download button. If you like what you're hearing, tell a friend to check out the show. Follow us at Talk is Jericho on the Twitter. Get your friends to check it out. We got a lot of cool shows in the can in the past. Got a lot of cool shows coming up. If you like Chris Jericho, you can even hit that subscribe button at iTunes so you never miss an episode of Talk is Jericho. And I know there's hundreds of podcasts to choose from. So I thank you for spending time with me right here today. All right, people. We'll see you next week. Stay cool, stay hard, stay heavy, stay hungry. God bless you. See you next week. Yeah, boy. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcast1.com. That's podcast podcastone.com. 